welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Welcome to the ABCA's mini-series, Father and Son. In this series, we cover the coach-player and parent-child relationship through the eyes of the coach and their sons who played for them. This is a truly unique relationship, and this mini-series should be of value to any coach, parent, or player. Thanks for tuning in, and please enjoy Father and Son. Next up on Father and Son are John, Brian, Kevin, Brandon, and Chris Casey. John has coached at Tufts for 38 seasons, 36 as the head coach. John is on the ABCA Board of Directors after serving as president in 2016 and vice president for the four years prior to that. Coach Casey was inducted into the ABCA Hall of Fame in 2020. The Jumbos have qualified for the NCAA tournament five of their last nine seasons. Brian played for John and is currently the pitching coach at William & Mary. Kevin also played for John and is the head coach at Johnson & Wales. Brandon played for John's former assistant, Paul Sfagdis, at Azusa Pacific and currently coaches with John at Tufts. Chris played at Western New England and currently coaches the Northeast Longhorns. Welcome to Father & Son. Brian, how long have you been at William & Mary? Uh, this was my eighth season. So okay. Since 2012. I was at JMU from uh, 2000 to 2003. Okay. Back in the good old days. Brendan Harris was playing at William & Mary back then, and then um, Bill Bray and uh, Chris yep. Ray were pitching. They had good squads back then. Yeah, Brendan and, and uh, Bill are still kind of around the program a little bit. They've been back to campus and um, spoken to the guys and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're good guys. That doesn't surprise me about Brandon. He's a wonderful dude. Good yeah, dude. Yeah, they've, they've both done some some serious stuff post-pro career. So, so what are they doing now? So uh, Bill was kind of lined himself up to be a, a, an agent in a sense. Uh, yeah. Um, He's kind of gone off. Uh, he got his law degree. He came back to school and got it from William Mary. Um, now he's kind of doing more um, law stuff than agent stuff. Um, okay. And then Brendan's involved with with a bunch of different stuff. He went back to um, the Wharton School for his for his masters. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, and then he's uh, he's hooked in with like Diamond Kinetics. He's he's hooked in with a bunch of stuff that's kind of happened up. He lives up in the DC area. Okay. So he, he was just back this preseason to uh, meet with our guys, and he's got handed a bunch of buckets right now. Does he? Yeah, he's he's a pretty uh, ambitious guy. I don't know how much you see, and you guys all see that, and I don't know how your family is, but my family's okay with being confrontational. Like, it was okay. Yeah. So I would, have to, I would have to address that with our players that, like, hey, this is how I grew up. You know, we would yell at each other, but then we'd hug it out, and you know, we didn't not love each other. But most kids now have never been yelled at. 
you know, by their parents, by their coaches. And it's not right or wrong. It's, um, you know, it just is what it is, but you would have, I would have to address it to make sure that guys wouldn't get butt hurt. You know, if I started to get on them. Um, yeah, so. no, I'm with you. I mean, we tell our guys, you know, you should, your team, you should feel free to say anything you want to anybody, as long as it's, you're not doing it for your own game. Exactly. We're here with John, Brian, Kevin, Brandon, and Chris Casey. Uh, it's a whole slew of them here. So appreciate you guys jumping on here today with father and son. You know, unique perspective here for you, John. You had two sons that played for you, two that didn't. And then can we just kind of go around the room? And I want you guys, the sons, to talk about your kind of your recruiting experience and then um, where you guys ended up. And we can go from, from oldest to youngest on this. And then, John, we'll let you finish up. Uh, sure, I'll get, I'll get us kicked off. Um, you know, re- recruiting experience-wise, you know, it was uh, – you know, I, I guess it was compared to nowadays, really, really naive to the process. You know, I, I didn't really have a ton of options, uh, to be quite frank. You know, uh, you know, it was different back then. Like we were playing Legion baseball in the summer. And the only time you really played in front of a lot of college coaches was if you made the state tournament. So uh, I remember. Brian, in, Brian, what years were these? Uh, this was I was in high school, 99 to 2003. Okay. Um, so in the summer of 2002, uh, I was playing on the Milford Legion. We made the state tournament and we were probably playing in front of, you know, eight or nine college coaches at that tournament at the time and, and all local coaches. And I remember after that, um, that was probably the first time that I got like a letter in the mail, you know, with a questionnaire to, to fill out. Um, but you know, beyond that, I didn't have a great high school career in terms of like statistically, you know, um, I guess, uh, a little bit more of a, a late bloomer in that sense. And uh, my father could probably attest to more of the recruiting side of it in terms of what was happening in the coaching world because just communication there was different. So just a couple phone calls. Sitting in my seat now, like, I, I don't think I would have, you know, sent a letter or picked up a text or called myself as a player anyway. So, um, you know, certainly not for, for this level. Um, so it was, I think it was a little combination about, you know, I was a really good student. Um, so probably a combination of that. You know, plus my father coaching at Division Three school. You know, that was probably my ceiling coming out of high school, anyways. Um, so that's probably how, you know, the the only direction it w- it was going to go at the time. You know, there wasn't a ton of other action for me, probably relative to some of my other brothers who who were probably a little bit better than me in the high school uh, career time. So, um, but yeah, found my way to Tufts and um, got a chance to play for the old man. So, <laughs> all right, Kevin, we'll let you go. I mean, it's, it's funny that he says that. I think it's, 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 you know, my experience was, was not a whole lot different. I think, you know, be, being a little bit younger, two years younger than Brian, I, I was able to experience kind of a lot of his process. Um, and, and, and from a baseball side of it, you know, just doing, doing some campus tours with him and getting an understanding really early on kind of what I was looking at from a, from a school standpoint. Um, but very similar. I mean, it was it was Legion ball. It was 2001 to 2005 Legion ball. Uh, you know, I, I used to joke around because I, I did the summer baseball coaching circuit uh, when I graduated from college for, for a couple of years. And, you know, I used to always tell the guys that, you know, the best players still played Legion ball and, and Legion ball always took precedent. And, and even on the weekends when the AAU stuff was going on, um, no one missed the Legion game. No one kind of that camaraderie of the hometowns coming together and and we obviously were very lucky that we played for a very good Legion program back in Milford. So um, it had good support and that stuff. And we were able to get that. But recruiting back then kind of seemed mostly uh, around New England. I, I don't think I looked outside the area at all. I, I know my my father tried introducing us a little bit to, to 
some of the schools, Division three schools and, and two schools um, down, in, down in the Carolinas, that, the conferences down there that, that he had played on his spring trip and was familiar with. Um, but, it, it, you know, for me, it was looking at a little bit of the NE10s a little bit. And, and ultimately, I kind of woke up one morning and said, you know, I, I'm going to get an education I probably don't deserve necessarily academically um, and, and have the opportunity to, to, to continue to play with my, my brother, which we did in high school. Um, and, uh, go play, go play for my father and see how that went. So, uh, it was good. I, I think a funny story from, from the recruiting process and, and, and unlike my brother, Brian, I think I got a little bit more calls, but the high school numbers will speak for themselves. Um, <laughs> I, I do remember my dad's assistant calling me and I was upstairs in, in my bedroom, uh, hanging out. And I, I remember having a conversation and he was telling me that, you know, Tufts was interested. And I remember kind of holding him up short and saying, Hey, you know, just let, let, let my father know that you're calling me. And if I have any questions about Tufts baseball, I'll just walk downstairs and, and talk to that coach. So um, it was a pretty unique experience, but I, I definitely look back at it and loved every little bit of it, but it's definitely changed in a lot of ways. And Brandon go next. Uh, yeah. Uh, same as them. Uh, stayed local playing Legion ball. Um, it was an awesome experience. Uh, like the two of them, I wanted to follow their footsteps and head to Tufts. And then they looked at my transcript and realized that wasn't a possibility. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, I mean, I had it was it was it was a cool experience. I got to check out a bunch of schools, checked out a, bu a bunch of local schools. Um, I was lucky enough to head out to California and play for one of my dad's former assistants, uh, Paul Sagdis. Um, I flew out there for a weekend my senior year. Uh, they were an NAIA school, so it was unique. They allowed me to do a workout on the field for them. Um, I got to go hit on their field. I mean, I was a hitter. Um, it's a tiny field. It's about 305 down the left field line and 335 the left center. So just hitting BP on that field made me feel good about myself. And I was like, I could see myself playing here, uh, you know, the next next four years. Um, I got to meet a few coaches on the team, a couple of their players, a couple of big dudes. They were, uh, I mean, they were just a really talented team. They were playing and competing at a national level every year. And uh, I'm just a competitive kid. All I wanted to do was go somewhere where I could play and win. Um, and I thought it worked out and it was kind of an awesome experience to go out West and play, you know, and still have an East coast guy there that I could relate to. And, you know, I felt, I, I, although I was that far away from home, it felt like home. You know, and how, how much did you know, Paul, just because he had coached with your dad? Uh, not really, not that well. I mean, I knew him from when he'd come around like once a year. Um, because when he was playing, it was, uh, I think he graduated in 94 or 95. So that was when I was five years old. Um, and then when he was coaching those first few years, again, I was still, I think by the time he left and headed out West, um, to Pomona Pitzer, I was like 10. So I really didn't get to know him that well. Um, and weirdly enough, I wasn't as close with the coaches as I was the players growing up as a bat boy. I mean, I, I was kind of infatuated with the players. So I spent most of my time hanging around those guys, trying to get them to play catch with me, get them to throw me BP, what have you not. So I didn't get to spend as much time with Polly, um, but I certainly was able to make up for that, you know, playing for him and then coach with him for two years. John, did that make that easier for you just because you knew Paul? I, I, um, I mean, I think that was the whole basis of, uh, of, of the recruiting of him, right? I, I mean, my first, um, my first instinct was to say, okay, um, who would I let my son play for? And it was almost like having a little bit of insider trading knowledge. So I, you know, th those things were really important to me when we, when we brought the kids around and looked at, at schools. All right, Chris, finish it yeah, off here. 
I wanted to stay local the whole time, but um, I was Legion Ball as well. But then I got my name out there a little bit more through Bay State games as well as showcases. And uh, once I didn't get the Tufts, that was my top school. It narrowed it down to Southern Maine, Eastern Connecticut, and Western New England. And I ended up taking Western New England. And John, just talk about all four of them, you know, and just some of the similarities, some of the differences, uh, and then obviously coaching two of them and um, coaching with one of them now. Just go through that whole process. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, I always loved the fact that of being a college coach that these guys were around the guys because um, I just think our guys are awesome. Um, and so, you know, as I've always said, it, you know, if you're going to be a successful coach, you got to make the team part of your family and you got to integrate your family into the team or else there's not enough hours in the day to do both. Um, and so they grew up around this. They grew up around baseball and, you know, obviously look where they are now. But um, so when it came time to the recruiting process, it was there were rules, right? Um, you know, Brian sells himself a little bit short here. Uh, you know, uh, both Kevin and, and Brendan were, were their respective league players of the year. So they, they were, a lot of guys were looking at them. I think one of the things that always bothered me was I got a lot more calls from other coaches saying, why waste my time? They're going to go play for you. Uh, and I kept telling them that that's not necessarily true. It was going to be their choice. So I always have my assistants recruit them um, just like they normally would. Um, so they at least they had that experience. Um, went to a few uh, visits with them, but I walked out the door and let them meet with the coaches uh, and those type of things. And we we had discussions, you know, I mean, me and Chris coming home and talking about a coach. And I said, you know, you're the guy who's going to play for him. You know, you need to like him, you know. And so it was just it was just that part of the thing. Let them have their own process about this. Uh, I think the. It, it was a lot easier for Brenny uh, in, in that sense because I knew Paul and Paul was part of our family. So that was that was an easy handoff in, a, in one way, uh, but it was no different than anyone else who sends their, their son halfway across the country to play. Uh, you know, you don't get to see, um, see him play as much. Um, you know, when, when uh, Brian and Kev played for me, uh, I put Coach Clark in charge of him. Uh, so he was the person who made the call when they were ready to play, not me. Uh, and so, I mean, if anything, I got in trouble with Coach Clark a couple of times because I didn't play him when he told me to put him in the lineup. So we were going to err on the side of caution, but it was it was Coach Clark who was the guy who was going to handle that. So we tried to create that separation throughout that whole process as well. And what about your guys' mom's role in all this, Diane? Um, how did she, you know, with the recruiting process and then playing for your dad, how did she handle all this? She probably had reading, the hardest time with everybody. <laughs> reading her book at the game? Let's, let's just put it this way. My dad's a very lucky man. I, I don't think uh, many women would put up with what, what he made her do. But uh. We all can say that about our the coaches' wives. It's a, it's a special breed. Uh, they make everything work. Um, you know, obviously your dad's not around as much with recruiting, coaching, and then, you know, when you do get to play for them, they're a little bit of that buffer for you because you can't go to your dad for everything when you're playing for them. So, you know, they do become a little bit of that buffer. Brian and Kevin, talk a little bit on your perspective with uh, the father-son and then player-coach relationship while you guys were playing. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was unique, you know. I think going into it um, – you know, I remember that my first year, uh, I was really conservative with kind of with everything, you know, because 
you know, carrying around that last name on Tufts campus, you know, you just kind of have to, I was always kind of second guessing a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? Just making sure I was doing the right thing. And I was fortunate. We had a great group of seniors when I was there that made it easier on me instead of kind of making me feel like, Hey, that's the coach's son, you know? And I, I think um, kind of that made it easier for us, especially division three, where we didn't like jump into a fall season where you're seeing depth charts and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we had a little bit more of a transition period before we got to practice starting up in February. So a um, little bit of a, a grace period there to kind of feel out some of that stuff and figure it out a little bit. Um, and then once we got to the, to, you know, to the actual playing, you know, through his own admission, you know, I think he tried to be, you know, almost harder on us a little bit so that everyone knew that there wasn't any, you know, favoritism going on there. Um, you know, and, and leaving up to coach Clark, I, I remember, I think my freshman year, we were going down our spring trip and, and I didn't play the first game. I think Coach Clark said, let's put Brian in left in game two. And I think that's where he said, no, he's not ready. And then I ended up playing game three in left field. So it got got stalled for, for one game. So And I was playing infield all at that time, so maybe he just wanted to steal me for the outfield anyways. Um, so, um, but, you know, it was kind of one of those things where um, I think it made us a little bit better too, you know, just by, by asking more of us. And, you know, I think we both knew – that was coming in a sense, you know, cause I think he treated all, all the players like they were his own, you know, and just to make sure that no one thought anything different, he was making sure that, um, you know, that they knew that we're all in the same, same boat. So I think that kind of approach, you know, made it easier on us to just let us go out and play just like we were, you know, some of the other guys. And, and I know when, you know, I was in my junior year, by the time Kevin got there, um, you know, I was probably a little bit higher on Kevin than, pops was because I was going to, I was trying to tell him like, Hey, this is, you know, we got to make sure we stay, you know, locked in on some of this stuff because of all this. And Kevin's one of the guys that likes to go against the grain a little bit. So um, he probably had a little bit easier time letting it loosen and uh, transitioning, just letting it fly a little bit baseball wise. So I think the second one with the second one, I think it's uh, much easier, but you know, Kevin, what's your perspective on that? Obviously you're playing for your dad, but then your brother's on the team. Did that make that easier or harder for you? That your older brother's on the team. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's funny. I, I, I you know, I, I, to me, it's, it's always, it was always very easy. I guess I, I don't know. See, people always seem to, when, when they ask that question, you play with your brother, you play with your dad. How was it? Was it tough? I, I used to, you know, joke around about it all the time, and I still joke around it that, that you know, I played college baseball because my dad was a coach, and yeah. you know, if you don't like it, have your dad coach. You know, I mean, it's just the way we've always kind of <laughs> joked around about it, but. Um, to me, to me, it was just an awesome experience. I think, you know, sometimes the challenging parts of it was you know, trying to get away sometimes as a player or, or the accountability over, over winter break when you're supposed to be getting ready for, for some running tests and, and you're only spending time in the cages and not doing any running. Um, the boss man knows, I mean, he's right there in the living room or you're trying to enjoy a nice Easter dinner and you made a, you made an error the day before in a conference game, you're going to hear about it all during dinner. You might get something tossed at you, but, uh, it, 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 to me, it was was always pretty simple. I, I always thought as an outsider looking in, he was much, much tougher on Brian. And like I said, it kind of – I always kind of looked at Brian and was like, I don't want to deal with that, so I'm going to stay in line as best I can and do what I do. Um, and, and, and that made it a lot easier. But it, it, to me, it was always very simple. I, I don't think there's – I didn't really see a difference. When we were at baseball, he was my coach. Um, when we were at a family outing, he was my father. And, and, and then during those tough times, you know, whenever I needed, ultimately he was always dad. So, um, 
being able to separate was pretty easy. Once we, once we got on the field, it was go time. It was play time. Brennan, Chris, let's go with you guys first on this next one. Looking back now, you're all still in baseball. What are maybe some things that you took for granted growing up around it that you realize now were really special? Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure if there's, there's much that I feel like we, we took for granted. Um, I think looking back on it, I realized how lucky we were to be around it all the time. Um, I got to meet a bunch of great guys. I mean, there's a bunch of guys on the team, um, guys that we coach with that we've been around for years that have, you know, become extensions of our family. Um, like, uh, my dad mentioned coach Sagas. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's like another father for me. I mean, the guy was great to me out there. He's, he's a tough guy. Uh, coach Kenny was in both Brian and Kevin's weddings. Um, I coach with him now. My mom always jokes around that he's the fifth Casey brother. Um, so I just think being around those guys a bit has been an unbelievable experience. Um, I think I was lucky because it just, just being able to go to the field every day, become a bat boy, be in the dugout, go play. I mean, I was getting stuff that kids weren't able to get as kids. I mean, I had a whole baseball team to play with, you know, almost every day growing up. And it was just, it was such a cool experience. Um, and then I was able to watch, you know, both my brothers play high school ball, college ball, everything like that and see it. And not many guys get that opportunity. And then I, and now, you know, it's just to be a part of the program and then coach with my father. I mean, it's just been such a cool experience that I, I don't know if there's anything that, you know, that I feel like I've missed out on or anything like that. It's just been awesome. You know, Chris, do you feel like you're a better player because you had a chance to watch all three of your brothers yeah, for sure. I definitely think that. Um, I also think I was the worst out of the four still, but um, things I took from all of them, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, give, I'll give him a little bit of credit. He, he's the smallest guy, but he, he beats me in the paint all day in basketball. <laughs> he's got me there. <laughs> what about the two older ones? I mean, obviously, Brian, you had to go through it first. Um, but, you know, is there anything looking back now? Like for me, you know, I, I think I took for granted that Andy Bennis pitched for my dad and I got a chance to watch him all the way through college. And I don't, at the time, his freshman year, he's just okay. Um, Jeff King, who played for the Pirates, hit one of the furthest balls I've ever seen hit uh, Bennis's freshman year. Um, and just some of the bus rides, being in the dugout, I, you don't realize it, you know, at the time, like how unique that is. I think you just take for granted that every kid gets to do all those things and they don't. And then as you get older, you realize how special it was to actually be in a college dugout, be around college baseball players your whole life. Um, I think it makes you a better person later on, too, just because you've, you've had to deal with college-age kids your whole life. I, th I just think it adds a little different, especially if you do stay in baseball. I think it makes it for some very unique experiences for you growing up as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a couple of things. I think, you know, on the coaching side – you know, like my father alluded to, you try to make it as much of a family as you can, you know, and I guess the cool part for us is that our family is embedded in, in our profession, you know, in totality, you know, all of us. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a deeper layer, you know, our family has grown exponentially the, the longer we do this, whether it's, you know, kind of the carry over the coaching tree or, or, uh, you know, just the fact we've all shared a dugout at one point, you know, and, um, there probably isn't a, a better way to grow up. And I think all of us that have kind of had the opportunity to grow up in the dugout, you know, or around a coaching family, um, you know, you look back and say that was a pretty cool way to, to do it. You know, um, it has its challenges, but 
you know, we're on a baseball field or we're in an athletic gym together. We get a chance to be competitive and, and get a chance to, to be around each other, you know, at home and, and on the field. It was pretty awesome. You know, and I think, you know, Kevin and I could go with this, you know, you have some parts of your life where you want to kind of break away what's said in a locker room with what gets said at home. And sometimes you don't always hear the carryover. Well, we've kind of been in both worlds. So there's been plenty of uh, inside jokes and, and uh, you know, busting each other's chops and some stuff that, that gets carried over from what happened, you know, at practice or at a game or in the locker room that we can joke around with now at the, at the dinner table or at family cookouts that, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to take shots at the at the old man for for some things that were were said and everything. So it's it's uh it's fun. It's cool. And then Brandon, talk a little bit about coaching with your dad. And then Kevin, talk about coaching against your dad and your brother. Yeah, um, coaching with them sucks. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 fine. Like you know, it's. I mean, all of us. I think every one of us at one point has been tossed out of the dugout by him. Um, whether it was coaching or playing. Um, but to be honest with you, he's like that all the time. Um, you know, and it's honestly, I say it's great all the time. People ask me, what's it like coaching with your dad? And I'm like, it's awesome, man. I get to spend free every day with him. Um, our offices are right next to each other. Um, it's, I get to see it. It's, it's a different side of him that I get to see that I didn't get to see growing up. I mean, I didn't get the opportunity to play with him. I remember like, I was at all those practices as a kid, like growing up, but you never realized what it would, was really like because I, I was usually off to the side whipping a ball off the wall or throwing a ball up to myself and hitting it into the net while they were practicing. But just to be a part of the, the whole thing and, and, and see how much work that goes into it, um, I mean, it, it, it makes sense why the program's good. And it's just been, it's, it's, it's been, it's been fun to be, you know, helping work with them, building this team, putting all the work together and then see it translate on the field. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because when I arrived, um, the program was already in a, a great place. It was just kind of don't screw it up. Just keep doing what you're doing um, and everything will be OK. So it's, it's, it's been it's been a fun experience. I think it's just awesome being able to you know coach alongside with them, although, you know, some days it is it is tough and it definitely puts a strain on our relationship. But the fact of the matter is, I think our relationship's probably stronger now than it was before. What, what was the biggest thing that you didn't realize, you know, playing and all that, and now you're coaching with him? What was maybe the biggest thing that you didn't realize that he does for the program? Um, I think it's all the stuff behind the scenes that's just not baseball. You know what I mean? And he's always, I mean, it's funny. It's like he's always said this to us growing up when we talked about wanting to be in coaching. And he's like, what you got to understand is the, the job, he goes like 80, I don't know what the percentages are. I barely listen to him half the time. But uh, he's like 80% of the uh, the job isn't coaching. It's behind the scenes stuff. And we'd all kind of just, because all we ever saw was him on the field and that aspect of it in a sense. Um, and just the, you know, the everyday daily stuff, like all the handwritten notes that he's writing to alumni, um, all the fires he's putting out around the athletic department, just because he's been there for 150 years. So people go to him for advice. Um, just all that, all that different stuff, the fundraising aspect of it, the budget aspect of it, all the, all the field work that he puts in uh, on the field, just in general, like, I mean, it kind of goes a little bit above and beyond. And I think, I mean, he always said, it's just the, the, the little things matter. And the problem is you kind of don't really notice those little things in, until you're there seeing it every day. Kevin talking about coaching, coaching against them. <laughs> 
It's a funny story. Uh, Ryan, it was good to, to hear when you got on, when I got on the call today that uh, he talked about when, when they uh, canceled the year, because that, that's what I've been riding so far is uh, we were scheduled first time this year as head coaches to go against each other. And uh, I always joke around how his school closed a little bit earlier than ours. So we're taking it as a forfeit and we're having it as a one Oh series right now. But to, uh, to, to me, it's, it's, I've looked at it's a program just as a, as any other well-respected um, very successful college program in new England. And, and I know coaching with him um, coaching for guys that are like him, that, that, that have had established careers. I mean, he's a hall of famer. And I, and I think as I, as I begin my head coaching career, I want to get measured against those guys. I want to see how those guys do it on a day-to-day basis. I want to see what their teams look like and and I want to structure my team and our team to best resemble it. And I think the best way to do that is play. And, and obviously that that's my father. And I I think it's the the cool part of it is, is we have the ability to be really, really competitive Uh, when we're on the field, get after it. it. It's almost like, Hey, I want it more than you do. Uh, I think the, the team, the players, they understand it a little bit. It gets a little fuel under the fire uh, and it gets us excited. But he, he's no doubt um, in my times as an assistant, uh, he's got us pretty good. Uh, he's definitely put a licking on it. I remember the first time we've ever played, I, I was living at home uh, and, and we made a, a side bet on the game, whether it's legal or not. Um, but if he if he won, I, I was going to have to move out of the house and, and I remember he was up 11 nothing uh, going into the ninth inning, and they brought in their All-American closer to close it out. Uh, and the guy I was working for was like, what's happening right now? And I was like, man, he really wants me to move out. He's closing this one out. So uh, that's kind of what happened. It, it, it's been an awesome experience, and, and it's something that I, I look to continue to do. I know I hound him all the time now about getting on his schedule. It's not the easiest thing all the time. I mean, we're going to fly down to Virginia, but. It's a cool experience. I try to I try to model our program a lot of the times after after what he's done over there and the guys I've worked for. But obviously, growing up with that program and the guys around that program, uh, it's been a cool experience. And I think one of the ultimate things that's been awesome about it is is a lot of his former players are now following us. They're watching us. You know, we do good things. I get emails. They're in the area. They come out to games. Um, and, and I think that's been a pretty cool experience because I think that's what we're trying to show our guys and build at, at, at our school now, Johnson Wales, is, is the program side of it, not just the baseball team. When I got to Iowa, my dad and brother both were at Illinois State, and it, my players would, would crack up because we'd show up for the, the ballpark, and we're getting ready to play and compete, and they'd be like, are you guys even related? I'm like, no, we're trying to beat each other here. Like, we'll talk afterwards, but, like, we're getting ready to play, and – Dusty Napoleon's the assistant at Northwestern now, um, played for me at Iowa and coached with me at Western, but he called it the Brownlee Bowl. So I had a one-game lead on my dad and brother, and then my dad came out of retirement and coached at Iowa as the pitching coach for one year, and they beat us. So we ended we ended tied, which is brutal that, that we ended the series tied. Um, kill guys. I'm like, no, this is like, you know, yeah, we're family members, but we're still trying to beat each other on the field. Like, it's not any different. You know, John, can you talk a little bit about the ABCA? Just you're president in 2016. You're on the executive board now. Can you just talk about that whole experience? You were vice president for four years. Can you just fill in on that experience a little bit, please? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time that uh, joining the ABCA was probably the best decision I ever made. The fact that you've got the exposure um, to so many other coaches, 
to create networks. You you got you got a forum to go learn every year, um, and and hear the new things. Um, and you know, I always tell people, and I mean this is you know, I was really fortunate to um, to get involved in the leadership of the ABCA, and one of the best things about it is when I leave a board of directors meeting, I'm literally charged up to improve myself, become a better person because I want to measure up to the other people in that room. Uh, and so just when you, when that happens to you, it's, it's just an awesome feeling. Right. Um, and those, you know, I, I never would have, I'll tell people all the time. I never would have thought I'd be sitting in a room chatting it up with Mark Johnson uh, when you know, 10 years earlier, I was in awe of him when he's on the main stage going, man, this guy's one of the smartest baseball guys I've ever heard. Uh, you know, and Keith Madison and those guys. And to be exposed to gentlemen, uh, Coach Tuckett and Coach Land uh, is, is unbelievable, you know. Um, and so it's just been, uh, you know, I've got great friends. You know, I mean, when they tell you it's a brotherhood, it is a brotherhood. And, and it, it you, you're excited that they accept you in. So I've encouraged all these guys. I encourage all my coaches. I, from day one, I've I've found a way to raise money and take my coaches to the ABC convention every year. And in my mind, you know, that's that's their bonus every year. Sometimes I don't think they think it is, but you know, and I push them. And you know, there's times I said, "Look, show me your uh, show me your schedule. Show me what clinics you're going to. You know, fill it up. Let's go." Um, so I think it's I think it's been awesome. Uh, and I think it's just, just uh, you know, just what the ABCA offers a coach. You, you're crazy not to jump on that and take and take advantage of it. It is, it will change you. It will make you a better coach, but it will open doors. It will, and it will create your path more than you'll ever know. You know, some of the things that I've gotten from guys as we're talking about growing the game is, you know, not a great time with the coronavirus, but you are seeing more kids out playing on their own uh and so hopefully we can maybe bring a little bit of that side of baseball back the imagination side where kids are out playing wiffle ball i spoke to an AEU team the other day and they had great questions but i'm like you know what pick a bat up go outside swing it swing against your if you like clayton kershaw on the mound swing against clayton kershaw if you you know take a tennis ball and throw against a box on the side of the wall and strike out mike trout like those are things that we all did as kids and you guys had built-in teammates growing up, you know, and talk a little bit about that side from growing the game, you know, what you guys did against each other growing up. My brother and I were so competitive. He was four years older. He would beat me in things and I would chase him around the house with, with scissors and I would throw things at him. Just talk about that a little bit too, growing the game and, and, you know, your guys experience growing up with each other and, and how it helped you as well. Absolutely. I mean, we had we had the wiffle ball bat with with about ten pounds of duct tape on it. Uh, you know, I think we were constantly asking the old man to to bother the Tufts tennis coach to bring more tennis balls home. We had the baseball diamond set up in the backyard. On the deck was a home run. Over the house was a home run, uh, and, and we kind of fast pitched it. And we went after each other, and we played like that. If it hits the it hits the chair, it's a strike. Um, but, but, but that was always good times. And, and I remember the times even without a bat, uh, you know, my dad grew up in the city. I, I joke around, I call him the JP stud from Jamaica plain, but, uh, he, you know, we played stoop ball where, where you take a tennis ball and you throw it off the stairs and, and kind of watch how far it goes back. And if it beats the furthest defensive guy, um, you know, it's a home run, but 
you know, building off what you said, I, I think that's a, a great way to continue to, to grow the game. I, I mean, I, I get excited when I go go to the beach and, and you see the wiffle balls out. You see kids playing wiffle ball. Uh, I, you know, I, I think growing up, we, it depended all, all depended on the season. You know, we we played basketball, we played street hockey, uh, we we played it all, and it, it, and baseball was obviously the biggest. You know, my old man strung up a a net, a JV, really JV looking net. I saw it the other day; it's still hanging there. Um, but but if you wanted some alone time and you wanted to go hit a tee off in, in the woods off a net, I mean, it was there for for us to use too. So, but ultimately, I think competing, growing up, like you said, with with four guys already in there, you know, and then we, we also came from a good big old Irish family. So when the cousins and the uncles came over, it was, it was that much more. And we did family vacations. It, it was wiffle ball all the time and, and go out there. And, and obviously that allows you to, to, to develop skills for the game, but, but not necessarily focus on baseball, just going out and having a good time. And it, I think it leads to eventually wanting to play more and more. I mean, ultimately that's, that's what you're trying. John, had you coached any of them before college in any sort of organized team setting? Uh, I think I coached all of them except Brian in basketball. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I coached Chris towards the end in, in All-Stars. But, uh, you know, we were we were the juggernaut, right, Toph? We were uh, a 10-year-old team winning 12-year-old tournaments, and people used to look at it, and it was uh, – we went out and played catch every day. And we taught Chris's team to, you know, throw straight up in the air and – one of the things I do with my team, throw the ball straight up in the air, like you're hitting the, um, you know, the pop up at the end of IO, and and uh, if you can do that, then you got you got great mechanics from a standpoint. Um, and our kids used to do that, and and you take, you know, ten year olds out there and watch them do it. That, that's all they want to do is catch high fly balls, right? And so they did that every day, and for two for three years, we we were juggernaut because our kids could catch and throw better than any team we played. And like I said, we got to the point where uh, we, as 12 year olds, they wanted us to go back to the tournament. We won two years in a row in Milford and we asked to be challenged and go somewhere else. But uh, we also also coached them in basketball. It was uh, speaking about no one in Milford knew that Christopher was my son when he played varsity basketball because I was in the stands telling the kid to pass the ball all the time. And that kid has never seen a shot he won't take. Um, so people will go, there's no way that's his old man. Cause he's telling him to pass it all the time. Um, but you know, that, that, that was the fun part was watching them play. Um, there are other sports, you know, always, you know, during the baseball games, I was as far away as I could be in center field, you know, just so, um, but when they, and it was the same thing in football, staying far away and, Last few years of it, I did the chains uh, on the sideline, which was fun because then you just blend into the game. Um, so that was that was neat uh, when Chris was playing. But uh, watched them all, all play all those things. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I did that I try to pass on to other people is I told them, I just threw them out of the house and told them to play. Right? And, and you know, people all the time. I mean, I know I got in trouble once at a, I was open a facility years ago and, and one of the mothers uh, asked, you know, what do you, what can my son do to get recruited by you? What do you want to see him doing in January? And I told her, I want to see him on the front end of a one-on-one -one with two seconds left tie game. And she looked at me like, and I said, that's, you know, it's a, the people who succeed are the ones who handle uh, adversity, the ones who compete and enjoy competing. And when everything's set up for you, and then you fail, they, they crumble. And so you got to let let them go out and 
And that's all the things you do when you go out on the street when they're playing with football. They learn to, to you know, they really they really learn to um, resolve all those conflicts and get along and play and figure it out and make adjustments and all those things that we all talk about. And so I just think, you know, like Brendan, you know, the reason we have this down there is the kid hit every day. And people say, you know, will you work with your son? I said, no, I'm having him figure himself out first. And then when I see when he thinks he's figuring something out, then I can sort of step in and try to help a little bit, you know. Chris, how are you using all that on the youth side then? You know, you're in, you're in it with 12-year-olds. How are you using all of that on the youth side? Yeah, so I uh, one way I keep them involved is I like being competitive. I like putting them in game situations. Um, we have our hit tracks in our facility. So I tell them, hey, if you go play out, you have a good weekend, we'll play a hit tracks game at practice. Stuff like that keeps them involved. That's got to be get cool for them being in the cage using hit tracks, right? Yeah, it's better than your normal BP. They get to see what they're doing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what other things are you doing with them? So say you got a group doing hit tracks. What, what do you have the other guys doing? I usually just have them watch. I want a game situation. So one, like the other cage is a dugout, and the other sides, they're going at it one by one. It usually, it's usually one pitch, one swing. So it goes by pretty quickly. How are you getting the 12 year olds to be engaged in games? I think as coaches now, we see it now where, where kids, you know, with technology, they are a little more self-centered, which they're supposed to be because they have their phones, they have their computers. How are you helping those guys be better teammates and be engaged in, in while the game's going on? Well, I tell them every day, I'm going to, I'm going to coach them like I'd coach a high school team. So if you're not locked in, you're going to, there's going to be a penalty some, some way. So that usually gets them to lock in. It's been a lot more easier than I thought handling 12 year olds yeah it's well you have a chance to make a huge impact at that yeah. age because they're going to be better people uh you know regardless of sports they're going to be better people down the road because they're they've been better teammates they're going to fit into better real world settings because they're a better teammate and those are the people that are successful out in the real world as well you other three what else what other things that you picked up from your dad are you using now on the coaching side um well it's funny you know i think you know I think one of the best things that happened for, for my coaching career was when I got an opportunity to, to go somewhere else. You know, Tufts was kind of all I really knew at that point. You know what I mean? I, I played in the program. I, I coached with him for five years right after. And uh, it was a, another uh, former player, Jamie Pinzino, uh, got the head coaching job at William Mary and, and brought me down uh, to be the pitching coach. And, and up to that point, I was doing hitting and infielders with with my old man. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of get to the other side and, and, and Pins's standpoint was just like, I just want guys I can trust and I know they're going to work hard and we'll figure the rest out. And I think that's, you know, for, for a lot of coaches out there that really just identify themselves as a hitting guy or a pitching guy, you know, I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Just be a baseball guy and you can kind of figure the other stuff out. But um, what it allowed me to do was get exposed to working with some other guys, um, some guys that had similar coaching trees, but had been off kind of doing their own thing and, kind of get a chance to see some some different terminologies or, or different ways to do it but it, but it's funny because it all it all roots itself in the same physical you know you know same kind of base you know what i mean like we're all doing the same stuff like even now like i think one of the coolest things that we have you know you know as a family is we can talk baseball and it's all rooted in the same place philosophically but we're doing like different things or different ways of doing it or maybe saying things a little different because we've been coaching other places a little bit or been exposed to other ways of doing it that it allows us to to grow and share a little bit which is which is kind of cool um but it's all it's all you know in come from the same foundation that we learned growing up and 
you know, playing and being in a coaching household, like it's just kind of the, the way you kind of make yourself do it, you know? So um, I love talking to my old man, you know, we, whenever we're kind of trying to figure out some pitching stuff that we want to do, you know, he's one of the guys that, that I run stuff by, you know, and it's funny how it's all the same stuff, even if it sounds or looks a little different. Yeah, I think the base thing helped me was going to James Madison to be with Spanky McFarland because I had been around my dad and brother my whole life and whole career, and it does help you. You know, it helps you get out of your comfort zone a little bit too, and then you realize that it's okay to to branch yeah. out and do things differently because their guys are doing things differently. So I think that helped me more than anything was when I had a chance to go away, and and you get out you get out of your bubble a little bit too. And I had looked at other schools coming out. Um, and it was a great decision to play for my dad and brother, but then making that next step to, to move on and getting around other people, I think helped, helped a ton on that end. John, talk a little bit about what it means to coach at your alma mater. I mean, you've been at Tufts forever, you know, just talk about what that means to you that, that you're coaching at your alma mater. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, I, I, if you look at Tufts, Tufts is a unique place, right? We're, we're in this league and, yeah, we're a lot different um, than most of the schools in our league. So uh, Tufts has always attracted this person who was just, you know, uh, trying to do something in life. And if you look at our coaches, uh, a significant amount of our coaches went to Tufts. And so there's just this bond you have with the place. Um, so it's, it's, it's been neat, right? There, there's a, you know, I mean, it's early on, it was like, you know, the one thing used to really wrestle me and it still does now you know i mean i except i just as i get older i get a little bit meaner when when a student sends me an email or something that says hey i'm really forward to being part of the tough elephants and i just send it back you better do better research than that right now you just took yourself off the list um and so it's it's just been a great thing it's you know we've been fortunate and i've been fortunate to, to watch tufts go from a, a pretty good school into one of the elite the country and um and now we're we're doing things athletically that no one thought we could do and we're still on an upward trajectory which is so neat so to be part of something <clears throat> it's very similar to the abca right to, to watch it grow and just and just keep doing its mission better and better and better um and so the kids we attract are awesome i mean that's that to me has been why i've stayed is i i just think that you know what 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 Brian and Kev know, those guys, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't think it happens as much, but I don't know. And I tell people all the time, they say, compare yourself somewhere else. And I go, that doesn't matter to me. I, we just do what we do. Um, and so it's been a special place for me, right? I, I owe it for, for getting me a great education, for meeting the people. Um, you know, the mantra in our program is we challenge every kid. You got to leave it better than when you came in. Our kids take that seriously. Um, and it's like, you know, we just had a, um, a zoom team meeting with Mike Daly, who's a lacrosse coach at Brown. Uh, I, Mike Daly is one of the great stories in American coaching. He played center field for me, never played lacrosse and became the tough lacrosse coach who won three national championships. And I was trying to get him every year to talk to our guys about culture, but every year Dales was in season. He came and talked to our guys and both Dales and I, after we're done saying, you know, coach. I says, Dales, we're going to have that whole team in your stands next year when you apply. And he goes, Coach, we'll be right back at you at Huskins. And I think that stuff is just, you know, that stuff just translates, right? And as Brian said, that family gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Well, um, what were some of the things he talked about culture-wise with your team? Um, you know, it's 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 like anything else. It's when it comes from a different voice, it's like yeah. people think. Uh, but Dale's talked really about just taking care of people, um, about accomplishing the mission, about staying focused. Um, but it was it was just so much just about um, you know it's all about people and it's all about caring about your teammates, and and those are the separators, right? And and the biggest thing we that he told our guys this and I think it's a challenge now nowadays more so is is how to hold teammates accountable you know and one of the things he said was you know bad teams no one leads right good teams coaches lead and elite teams players lead and he just tried to drive that into our guys and but he gave us the how-to you know with with him you know there's no no secrets uh there and um you know it's always been one of my one of my, he's, I'm, I'm more proud of Michael because, you know, those core values that Bri talked about, uh, he's used in another sport and it's worked tremendously. So I think that those, that's why they're core values. What are some of the things that you guys are using to help build team leadership? You know, you talked about your best teams are when the players lead. What are some of the things you're doing with your teams to, to help them get in that mode? Because most kids don't, they don't know that they're not in that culture growing up anymore of, of pulling for their teammates or leading their teammates or having tough conversations with their teammates. What are some of the team things that you guys do to help your, your teams develop that? So I, I think our, our, our locker room is like our laboratory, right? So, I mean, I try to tell our guys that, you know, the one thing a coach has is the ability to communicate with his team through everything that goes on in their program. Uh, so I have had a letter from every captain from 1983 on, and they're posted in our locker room, and our kids read those. Uh, sometimes I'll have t- players read it, the coaches read it, and talk about what those letters mean. But it's just it's just that connection. Uh, the other thing I do is I on every coach on every player's locker I put a poster, and those posters. I mean I think as Dale I'll tell you I agonize over them because there's a message in that poster. But I also tell kids in the team. At any point, I can. You need to look at that and try to figure out why it's there, and and then I will pull him up and say, "Okay, Freddie, team meeting, you're up right now." And he'll have to go and speak in front of the team, and and you you create that safe part of the locker room where everyone's accepting and and they sort of smile a little bit. On uh, you know, we had a kid who every two days something was wrong with them, you know, and you know we had that photograph of that little kid running with the, the two prosthetic legs uh, with the sign on it that says your your excuse is invalid and that went right over his and the best part is when he went walked in the locker room he sort of like looked at it and was trying to figure it out and every kid that walked by smiled and, and chuckled and they knew what it was before he did um, so there's, there's lots of ways to do it you know Jeff Miller who is uh, I think he's with the Phillies now thought he was one of the most fascinating mental guys we do a lot of stuff with movies and picking scenes out of movies and discussing them. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, baseball non-related stuff that, that, you know, you just try to put in front of them. And so they talk about it and, and they, and they come up with their team mission. They come up with your team words, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and those are done player led where coaches are nowhere near that. That's what they own. And, and the, the final, the final thing, which I think is really, um, interesting you know as you look back on your career is you know our league is doesn't allow fall practice uh never has for for some academic reason i'm not sure what because i'm not sure our guys are in the library when they think they are but uh 
what that has done when I look back at it, I'm not sure I would do much fall practice because the, that opportunity creates leaders on your team because they have to organize themselves. They have to decide how important this is. They have to go at it. And then they got to hold each other accountable that whole time to get ready. And so I think just that forum has been a great way to do it. And I think, you know, you can't, you can't create leaders as a coach if you smother them. You've got to be able to step back. That's the one thing I've learned as I've gotten old. You know, when I first got this job at 24 years old, I thought I knew everything and there was no screen. I'm pitching from the rubber during BP and I'm trying to strike out my team and all that stuff. And, and you learn to pull back. You've got to create that environment where, you know, you give your kids the chance to grow and, and fail sometimes, right? And then, you know, now you have that point where you go, okay, you're willing to listen now, right? And I tell our guys, I said, you know, it's not hard because the best players play. And then the oh, other guys right. got to listen and find a way to get on the field. And so so that's what how we do it. What are some of the other bif- biggest differences between coaching now and when you first started? I, I tell people it's, it's really simple. When I first started – I had unbelievably competitive kids that I had us teach skills to. Nowadays, I have really skilled kids I have to teach how to compete. And so that's just, it, that's, it just flips your focus, right? So we spend a lot more time talking to guys, a lot more time uh, in individual meetings with guys than we ever had to, right? It was, you know, when I first got it, it was almost like holding the horse back, right? And now I'm trying to get these horses to run more. Right. And believe in themselves and and not look over the stands. And, you know, I mean, we, we recite this mantra all the time in our locker room. And we I ask our kids, I go, OK, who's the most who's the least objective person about your performance? And they go, I am coach. Who's the second least objective about your performance? And they go, my parents coach. And I go, yeah. So therefore, you got to back that off and, and listen to others then. You just can't fall back into that and, and make it a, everyone's trying to hurt you. No one's trying to hurt you. They're trying to make you better. So so we do that all the time, you know, and we just sit there and the whole team will answer at the same, you know, in unison. So just work a little blinders. How are you dealing with parents now as opposed to in the past? Uh, Coach Clock's my uh, parental liaison because he can't remember the player's name, so I know he doesn't know who the parents are. Um <laughs> But no, I, I, I sent a letter out to parents now that I never thought I would and basically tell them, I am willing to talk to you anytime, make an appointment. We'll talk to them. But my goal is to treat your son like a man, is to go through your son and do everything that way. Um, and I also tell them, you know, we're trying to get your son to compete the right way. So if, if you're acting like a buffoon screaming at the umpires, that's not, you're embarrassing your son, believe it or not. And you're not being helping us develop the guy we want. So, um, and I think parents are a little bit more um, once when they get that. I think they're very a little bit more thankful for it because at least they're given guidelines. Um, I've 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 have over the years there there are some parents of former players that I'm very close with now. Uh, but I really I really don't think you can talk to them too much while they're playing because as number one it hurts the player. If you're talking to certain parents, because everyone on the team thinks, okay, that's why. So you're not, you're doing a disservice to your player. Um, and so, but I had one, I had one, uh, one mother who was really, but probably about eight or nine years ago, who was complaining about her son didn't play enough and all that. 
and she kept grabbing me after the game. We tell them you're not allowed to talk to coaches before or after. It's just got to give us some time. And uh, so she finally got me, and I said, okay, you know what? Why don't you you get all the parents together, and whatever parent wants to donate their sons in to your son, I'll give them. And I never heard back from her. Scott Pickler said that the other day. I interviewed him and Jeff. He said, you know, parents want you to play the eight best players and then their son. Yeah. <laughs> True. Guys, what are some final thoughts, uh, you know, for all of you? It can be on the parenting side. It can be on the, the coaching side, playing side. Just uh, go, let's go around the horn here and just give me some final thoughts on everything. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I guess, to, to kind of keep it relative to this, this father-son thing, you know, um, you know to, to guys out there who are coaching, you know, like, like my father said, I think if you, if you approach this where you look at all your players like they're your sons, you know, I think it's going to make you a better coach because number one, you'll be invested. You'll, you'll care. You'll, you'll be tough on them when you need to be tough on them and you'll be there to support them when you need to be there to support them. And it kind of allows you to, to ride the full spectrum of that relationship. It's never strictly professional where it's all result oriented and that's it, you know, cause I don't think that that lends yourself to be a good coach. And I don't think that lends yourself to, to have a lot of success in this business or with that player and in their development, you got to kind of, be there for the, for the whole, whole scope of it. You got to let them fail and, and be there to catch them. You also can be there to, to kind of push them and, and drive them and, and motivate them at times. You got to kind of be all of it. You know, I think, you know, we definitely deal in a profession that sometimes lends itself to a lot, to being very specific, you know, and being very uh, intentional with, you know, one or two things you're trying to do. But I think if you're going to be a good coach, you got to coach the whole thing. You got to coach the person, and the player, you know, the skill and the psychological side, you've got to kind of be well-versed in all of it to get the most out of each and every kid, because they're all going to be a little bit different. And I think at the end, what we're trying to do is get all those different pieces to, to fit into a puzzle. that's going to give us a chance to be successful. And that's going to lend them to having some success when they, when they leave your program and become alums and, and do what's next. So, um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate as a, baseball family to be able like I said to you know intertwine some of the you know personal side of things into our profession and it's been it's been an awesome experience you know I think looking back on it you know there, there's other routes we all could have taken um and there's different experiences we could have had and not to say that none of those would have been great but I think the cool part now is what our experiences have led us to have it as a family get a chance to play and coach um, for a hall of famer you know, uh, to, to play with my brother, to coach against my brother, which was, uh, I think we finished up 500 uh, against each other. So that's that's uh, all we probably could hope for. I know my mom was probably happy about that. Um, you know, and, and just, and now, you know, getting a chance to throw ideas off each other. You know, it's it's been, you know, full circle, been been a pretty awesome experience. And, and uh, you know, it's it's obviously still going. So it's it, we keep the game going to to keep our relationship going. It's been, it's been pretty awesome. I mean, I think kind of encompassed it all, um, you know, from my end, I, it, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that I, that I always um, try not to take for granted and I always try to make it special to me is ultimately what I, what I got out of growing up with, with this kind of family with, with brothers coaching, playing baseball at an early age, growing up with, with an extended family and it's exactly what it was an extended family. I mean, I remember at the hall of fame reception down in Nashville this past year, um, seeing guys that I haven't seen since I was, was in diapers and seeing 75, 85 guys fly in to, for, for my father's reception, um, was unbelievable. 
But 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 to me, I, I think the thing I've always taken away from this, and this was from an early age, just seeing it, is is I want to live my life to make to make a positive impact, and I think that that's ultimately what got me into coaching, um, and ultimately the the biggest thing that I've taken from my father in his years of coaching is is watching the numerous impacts he's made and the more positive impacts I think you can make on, on your team, um, the more wins you're going to have. And that ultimately um, is why I, I still fight tooth and nail uh, to stay in coaching uh, with my wife and, and all that stuff. But she, she's fully supportive of it because she's been able to see the benefits that my mother's gotten out of it. And I think that's, that's the one thing um, that's been awesome about baseball is it generates that kind of family atmosphere. I think, you know, this being my fourth program, it, it's as you go to different programs, you start to see they all have the ingredients. I like to say for that specialness and it's taking the right guys that, that want to put those ingredients together and cook that up to, to, to make that program and be the first to start it, but also sustain it. Um, is what it is, but it all, it always reflects to, I think our, our most successful teams have always been the ones that take care of each other. Um, don't necessarily put, put it on themselves, but look, look to make an impact on their teammates, their, their, their brothers and, and all that stuff as well as in the community. So that's always what I've taken away growing up out of this family and, and growing up with these guys and continue to do it. It's, it's just trying to continue when my father started and make a, make a positive impact on as many people's lives as you can. Uh, and build as many relationships as you can through, through the game of baseball. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I always say I, I'm lucky. Um, I feel like I got uh, the best job in the world. Um, in the spring, I get to go and compete with my dad with an unbelievable team um, and play at a high level. Uh, in the summers, uh, I get to spend the whole summer on the road with my brothers, um, just seeing games, everything like that, I think. Oh, it's like clockwork every, you know, what is it? Late, late June, early July, I'll get the text from Kev at nine 30 in the morning, you know, down in Georgia. Hey, where are we heading today? And I simply respond back. Hey, Kev, me and Brian have been at Lake Point since 8 a.m. waiting for you to show up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just stuff like that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's cool. And then, you know, and then another awesome experience is that uh, with the NESCAC, we have no fall. So I get to relax and watch football and just, and just chill. You know what I mean? It, it's great to get away. And I actually get to build real, I feel like real relationships with our guys outside of, outside of baseball. And I think it's, I think it's just helped, you know, make me enjoy coaching that much more. And then, you know, obviously with the profession, I get to have my mother around all the time. Probably um, my dad probably says too much. Um, when we're, you know, post games, everything like that, we get to go to the pub and we're sitting there, we're arguing about the game. And then all of a sudden my mom will chime in with some offhand comment about the game that will throw me or coach Clark under the bus. And it just makes my dad's night. Um, you know, it's, it's just awesome. It's awesome stuff like that, but it's just being able to spend that time with her and spend the time with, you know, those coaches with my brothers all the time. I, I it's, 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 it's been a privilege to coach that allows me to have so much time with my brothers, which I know a lot of people don't get to have, um, you know, in the real world. Yeah. So on the AAU side, I always just try to be honest. Um, everybody wants their kid to be a division one kid. And the one thing that we preach in our program was we're going to be brutally honest sometimes. And if 
not everyone's going to be division one. There's going to be division two. There's going to be division three. And some of you guys might play a different sport in college if one at all. So I always just try to be honest with the parents, especially since we work a lot with parents on the AU side, since it is pay to play. And I think that's one thing that we as a program do pretty well is we're just honest and it draws parents and their kids to come back to our program. But you all can speak to that. You didn't go to division one schools and you had great experience in, in baseball. And I didn't look at all division one schools coming out. I looked at division three schools also. So you guys can all speak to that. You've had a great career in baseball, all of you, and it wasn't a division one experience and, and it, it isn't for everybody. And it is about finding the right fit. You know, and John, what, what did you feel about this whole experience helped you maybe be a better coach after they were all gone? Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's been a really interesting time, right? You, you, I, I'm a very visual person. So I, so when, when I'm done, I, I just try to draw on my past experiences and I, and I try to tell everybody, you know, you have this, you know, visceral view of something um, and it either makes you smile and feel really good or, or, or it creates a little bit of regret, right? Um, and so you just want to try to minimize the regret ones. But, you know, with, with all of these guys I have, there's just certain vignettes I have in my mind that, like, when I think of it, I smile, you know, and I, and I tell all my players that too. I says, you know, when I think of, of you, here's, here's where it is. And some of it might have been the locker room, some of it might have been the field, some of it might have been, you know, just in a conversation of what they said to me. And I always go back to like when I think of uh, Brendan and, and Chris, I always think of sitting in a basket, a high school gym, and and Chris was a freshman and he was getting beat up pretty good by this by this guy and you could hear him talking trash talking. I'm just sitting there watching. It's a growth moment, right? Resisting dad's feeling about jumping on the court and defending your kid. And as we go, he's, this guy's really like ridiculous, pulling Chris's pants down, shoving him, pushing him. No one's looking, throwing an elbow. And then they start the second half and, and Brendan is a senior, I believe, uh, or so, junior. And he goes senior and he goes out on the court uh, to start the second half. And he walks up to the guy and just really quiet. But I was at the first row, just looks at me and goes, now you got to deal with me. If you touch my brother again, you're done. And, and, to me, like that feeling was like unbelievable, right? So when I think of those two, I just look at that and I'm going, man, you know, must must have stumbled upon doing something right for have that to have that happen, right? That's the pretty cool stuff, you know. And then when I think about these two, I always, I, I, I never kept track of wins. <clears throat> never that stuff never mattered to me. It was always how we played, and it just had, had faith. But I, re <clears throat> I remember a ball was hitting the hole. And Kevin laid out for it and threw from his knees. And Brian made a nice pick at second base. And my coaches grabbed me by the shoulders and goes, that's awesome. I can't believe it happened that way. And I go, what? And I don't even know what game it was, my 400th win or something. I, I think that's what it was, but I'm not positive. Um, that that it ended like that with those two making the play. And, and so I always think back of that as a way of saying, you know, I was just so pumped to have them both on the field at the same time. But the, the funny one was um, watching my wife when Northeastern played William and Mary struggle to find the exact midpoint in behind the plate. So she wasn't favoring one over the other and literally like sitting then plopping down right in front of people because this was the midpoint. So I just, those are the things that like make it all worthwhile. Um, 
made made it so much fun. And um, you know, the one thing I learned probably too late in my career, certainly, but uh, is just don't ever be afraid to lose. That's when you win. And if you if you make win and drive every decision, you're gonna blow yourself up at some point as you lose perspective. So you're gonna be fine if if you make it about more than winning. Um, and 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 that's why I really believe when you have these pictures of people, you know, Coach Vegas, you know, uh, Brendan's coach, Coach Vegas, will tell us, you know, he he one day walked in in a meeting and he told me he wanted to be, he should have gone to clown school when he was struggling and uh, and and we laughed because, you know, we were talking about that and we said, you know, the funniest thing in the world is is a clown on fire and so we called Coach Vegas. His nickname is Flamus. So we call him Flame Mr. Clown. So you just have all these internal stories, but th- those are the things that just won't, you know, just make you smile and make you want to work hard because uh, that's, you want to keep this going forever. So, well, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, thanks for everything. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Yep. Baseball truly is America's pastime. We are all stewards of this great game. I'm so excited to shine a light on these unique perspectives. All of these guests show their passion and love for each other and the great game of baseball. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening to Father and Son, and remember to leave it better for those behind you.